From the city of brotherly love, this is Deadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. J.C., let's start out today with a lightning round. All right, go for it. How many members of the U.S. Women's National Team World Cup winning team from 2019 can you name? Aside from the utterly flawless Kelly O'Hara? So small, so angry. So angry. Uh, I could say Ashlyn Harris, uh, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Becky Sauerbrunn, uh, Julie Ertz, Crystal Dunn, Rose Lavelle, Mallory Pew, Pew, Pew. Um, I'm coming up short. But if you gave me a few minutes, I could probably get through the rest. You could indeed. So that's eight out of the 23. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, I could probably keep going. So that begs the question, can you tell me about your women's soccer career? Uh, did you play in college? No, I am not athletically inclined. I see. Um, did you maybe try out for your local women's club team when you were a young lad? No, no. Maybe there wasn't even a women's club team when you were... Not when I was a lad. No, that was that was back in the Stone Age. No, we didn't really have that. So how and when did you find yourself getting into women's soccer? Well, against all odds, I have a daughter who is very athletically inclined, and soccer is her game of choice. Um, she's actually quite a talented keeper. As a result, we watch a lot of women's soccer in the house, and uh, yeah, I kind of get caught up in it. Are there any other household activities that you have ended up getting into as a result of partner or kid? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I do a lot with the scouts. Uh, I was a den leader for five years. I'm troop committee chair right now for the, the scout troop for uh, my son's troop. I've done a lot. of. I did coaching for a while. I did actually coach soccer for two seasons. That was horrible. I, and I did coach t-ball as well, which, again, was, was horrible. I'm not good at that stuff. So, yeah, I, I would say that I've been uh, pulled into the realm of, of activities that are outside of my normal space. How about you? It ever happened to you? Oh, three times now, maybe four or five times. Uh, yeah, so my oldest, Nick, started playing soccer when he was probably three or four years old. I had played like two seasons when I was in grade school, <laughs> uh, showed no ability or inclination and dropped that. Uh, at some point. So I had never followed it, but now I could probably name you half the teams in the Bundesliga. Um, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, that's a thing. Um, with, with my, uh, with my second, our, uh, our, our, our past and future guest, Maria, um, she was a ballet dancer and a choreographer. Ah, yeah. Uh, so I've read a biography of Balanchine. She, uh, she also, um, got into fashion design over the years. We've had a running thing of me observing fashion trends when I'm traveling for work uh, so I can tell her what's on the street in London or Paris or somewhere else. Like a foreign correspondent almost. Like a foreign correspondent That's nice. uh, uh, on fashion, which keeps me sharp on my observation skills um, and is always interesting to kind of compare and contrast what um, what's hitting in other places. Um, my youngest, Anna, uh, a couple years ago did a project where she learned how to weld steel. That is truly a useful skill. You have admired this in a way that you and certainly she cannot comprehend. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, so I learned a bit about welding, um, uh, from going through that process with her. Um, and as far as my partner goes, uh, my wife, uh, has a sewing workshop in our town and more recently, she's also gotten into a consignment business for prom and formal gowns. Uh, so, JC, did you know 
that there is a short gown season and a long gown season? I, I'm not sure who didn't know that, but fair. Oh, fair. No. No. Yeah, yeah. Fall and winter, <laughs> fall and winter events tend to be shorter gowns, and your your prom season, which is almost always in the spring in the United States, is long gowns to the floor. That makes perfect sense, right? Naturally, but I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so many things I didn't know, uh, and so I think it's fair to say we've we've both found ourselves involved in activities uh, that became meaningful to the family. And as a result, became meaningful to us. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that is absolutely true. I spent a lot more time on soccer fields than I ever would have. Um, and I know a lot more about scouting than I did when I was a scout, for crying out loud. And I, I find that I can startle people in professional settings with my random knowledge of fashion, modern dance, uh, European soccer leagues. It's a you know, it's it's um, great uh, random conversation material at work dinners. I, I don't know why anyone would be surprised of your knowledge of fashion, Michael, to be fair. <laughs> I did wear pants today. <laughs> That's a huge step. It's a big achievement. It's, it's the season. I'll tell you, though, the thing the thing that I haven't done, and it sounds like you maybe haven't either, is go all the way with one of these activities. Say building an entire soccer club across six counties, uh, applying for state grant money uh, to support it, and even becoming a part-time professional coach. That is true. I have not done any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to introduce a friend of the podcast, a gentleman named Scott Klein, who is a cousin-in-law of mine, an upstanding gentleman. He's going to tell us his story of how he has gone deeper than he ever would have imagined into the world of soccer with his kids. Well, my name is Scott Klein, and I am, uh, I'm from Bryson City, North Carolina, and we have two kids. We have a 12-year-old, and we have a 16-year-old, and I am currently an instructor at a community college, and I'm also the head coach for the high school girls and high school boys soccer teams at Swain County High School. It really started when my son, who's now 16, when he was four years old, he started playing soccer at the rec level, and it was just something that he was very interested in. So I really started 12 years ago altogether. I really did not have a whole lot of exposure to soccer before that. Uh, my When I was in high school at Swain High, we did not have a soccer team, so they formed a club team right after I left Swain High. So we really didn't have a soccer team at that point. So I didn't have hardly any exposure besides seeing some soccer on TV every now and then. So you have this four-year-old who's mad about soccer, and you decide to uh, start getting involved uh, and and coaching uh, as he's progressing along. And what did you find as you were going about the state of the soccer programs in your part of the world? Uh, soccer really was not that big of a big of a sport in our area then, and you know I started off at the rec level, and so we we kind of a group of parents got together and we all discussed the possibility of trying to give our kids a higher level of play for soccer, and so we ended up putting together some local just teams that could play, and then they traveled about an hour and fifteen minutes to go play games over in Asheville. And that, that's kind of how we started or started progressing with the soccer program. We started small and then just kind of build up from there. 
and what do you have at this point in terms of the local program? So how how many how many teams are you fielding? How many parents are involved? What's that look like now? Well, our local program there in Swain County, we have we have our academy program, and we have also have some travel teams that travel different places. They play games at Swain, and then they also play in Asheville. They could be down in Charlotte, North Carolina, or just different places. But I'm not sure what our total number of teams is right now. But it's uh, we have quite a few teams, and you know something that has progressed. We started off locally at Swain County. And then we we decided beyond that that we wanted to we needed some higher level teams and we needed more players to be able to play in their particular age group. So we ended up working together with uh, probably six or seven different counties altogether and local clubs in those counties, and we formed teams that so our players could actually be in their appropriate age group. So it, it was a big process. We formed WNC United to allow that to happen, and all those teams could, or those players could. They, sometimes they'd have to travel a little ways just to get to practices, but it made it more our teams much more competitive. Has that involved a lot of work, uh, say fundraising or figuring out uh, field space with local governments? Oh yeah, definitely. It, there's always fundraising that's involved with something like this, and. Just locally in Swain County, we play some of our games there for WNC United, and then we play a lot of our games for the Swain group. And we also formed a Swain Middle School team that it's a club team, and it plays at our local Swain County Rec Park. And something that we did was we did a fundraiser where we could get matching funds, and it's called a Part F grant, however much money we raised, we uh, would get matching funds for that. So I think we raised over $20,000 just to redo that field so it could be playable. Wow, that's very cool. How long have you been coaching at the high school level now? At the high school level, I have been head coach for three years. And then before that, I was assistant coach for one season. And I actually coached the high school boys in the fall, and then the high school girls in the spring, because that's when the seasons run in North Carolina. And uh, your younger one, your daughter, is just as deeply into the world of soccer as your son, right? Oh, yeah, she definitely is. She uh, probably, I guess, two years ago, she's been playing since she was four also, but probably about two years ago, uh, she went to our local school board and presented about the need to have a middle school girls team. When my son was in eighth grade, we'd formed a middle school boys team where it ended up being a co-ed team. But my daughter presented about why we needed a girls team and everything. And she's she's that that is her sport. That's what she loves to do. And that that's the case for both of our kids, which is very strange since my wife and I, neither one of us played soccer, but they both love it. And was her proposal successful? Did she get the team? Yes, she did. She was able to get the team, and we had to do some different fundraising and everything, but it, she was very successful with it, and now like she starts her first game on Monday. Looking back over this experience over the last 12 years, um, w- would you have ever imagined that you'd be this deep into the world of soccer? <laughs> no, not at all. Definitely not. We... Uh, I, you know, I, growing up, I would have expected our kids more to be basketball players or a different sport besides that even. And But it, we exposed our kids to different sports, and 
what it they basically turned around and ended up wanting to do is play soccer. One other thing I want to ask you about, because you've worked with a lot of kids, uh, something that I see is kids change their minds about what they want to do. They get into a certain activity and then they get exposed to something else. Have you seen a lot of struggles for parents over the years when you know their kid has been doing something and then they decide that they want to do something else or they when they get to like middle school and high school level they have to start making some of those either or choices oh yeah i've definitely seen those struggles and you see a lot of it more in our area at least whenever they get they make a transition in high school because there's certain sports that they cannot play both sports at the same time like softball and soccer now, we'll have quite a few that run track and they'll play soccer or they'll run track and they'll play softball. But we've definitely seen those struggles where it's kind of difficult for them to have to make choices and figure out what sport they want to stick with. I think it's also hard sometimes for the parents to let go because they get kind of invested in what the kid is doing. Oh, yeah, I've definitely seen that. I haven't seen it a whole lot around the soccer soccer environment, but I have definitely seen it in sports in general. And I mean, parents can definitely get invested. And it's a it's a battle. It's a struggle for the parents, I believe, to kind of let go and let the let the players decide what they want to do. And, you know, overall, I feel that that's the best choice is to let them decide what they want to do and then they can. That way it's something that they enjoy and something that they love to do. So do you feel you've had to give up something to become more of an expert in some of these areas? No, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for all the opportunities to learn. I think it has kind of stretched my brain. Um, as well as my experience. I think I've been exposed to a lot of worlds that I wouldn't have sought out on my own. And that's valuable to me. At the same time, in all these different circles that I've traveled in, I have seen a lot of parents get way too invested in their kids' activities. That is a constant fear of mine, and I am constantly reminded of that as I sit at these soccer games with parents maybe getting a little too excited about things, parent coaches taking it a little too far. Have you had parents thrown out of games? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, we, we had a coach thrown out of a, a game not too long ago, which is a horrible experience for the kids, for the coach, for the parents watching. Yeah. My, uh, my daughter had an indoor soccer match uh, this weekend. Her team lost 4-1. to one. And we had to walk out past the other team who would cir- had circled up with the coach. And the coach is, like, yelling at them after a 4-1 victory for their side. And, you know, fortunately, the, the team that my daughter is on, the parents are pretty chill. And we were all kind of joking about, like, uh, you know, this is worth yelling because these kids are all going to turn pro, like, rolling our eyes. Right. Um, but it is amazing how often you see that crazy off-the-charts intensity Right. Associated with a thing that where there is nothing at stake. Yes, exactly. And I will take that to the other extreme. I I was at a soccer tournament uh, a week ago and my daughter's team was playing up. So they were definitely about two levels below where the teams were that they were playing against Mm. as they were being. I'm going to generously say shellacked seven to two. Mm. uh, The other team started playing keep away. So instead of scoring, they would get the ball all the way down to the goal and then pass back. Right. It, you know, it threw their team for a loop, but all of the parents, their team and ours, you know, there was a moment of, this is really great sportsmanship. This is yeah. something nice to watch. So yeah. you, you get both angles of that. And I certainly never would have seen that had I not been involved in, in some of these activities. 
Well, and it's so curious to me, like, you know, when you have like a rec league in a town, right? And the kids are all playing each other when they're like nine, 10 years old. That's going to be your varsity high school soccer team in exactly. that town, right? Like you are going to see a lot of those kids, especially if you're sort of at a similar skill level and you stick with it for a while. So it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's short-sighted. But I also think one of the things that I saw in the ballet world more than in the soccer world was the phenomenon of parents kind of putting their own hopes and dreams on the kid and living through the kid yes, in a way that I think is just so unhealthy. Yeah. As, as someone who went to a conservatory, I saw that a lot. Mm. Uh, you wind up with people who have been playing the violin or the cello since they were three and their parents are fully expecting them to be the next Yo-Yo Ma or to go on to the National Symphony and that's not great for the person that is performing. That's not great for the kid. And it's really not great for you as a person. You know, we're both in our 40s. And I I don't tend to feel like my life is over. Right. You know? <laughs> like, I, I don't think I don't think I'm done being into stuff or having the potential to, I don't know, take up a hobby or something like that. To, that's, to that's a callback. That's a callback that right there. We're getting better. I think about in, in light of what you were just saying about the conservatory, in addition to everything else cool about Yo-Yo Ma circling back to the Bach cello suites. Yes. Right. Like revisiting that decade after decade is also kind of a rebuke. Yeah. To the youth at all costs attitude about things. Yes, that is exactly right. Yes. And it's beautiful to see that, just mm-hmm. taking yourself back to being a novice. And I feel like that's what it should be like in in watching my kids do these things. You know, it's great to watch them try things and to fully understand that this is probably not the end of, of the world for them. You know, they're yeah. going to do other things. And I'm going to get to see those other things. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's, you get to watch something new every day. How, how about the phenomenon of, uh, you know, seizing the Elmer's glue out of the hands of the child who's preparing their science fair poster board and Ugh. doing the work? Do you get a lot of that in Scouts? Do you get parents doing the merit badge? We, we do see a little bit of that. There are folks that maybe get a little too involved and get a, a little too... Uh, hands on with something that is meant to be an exercise for the the kid. I personally am. I don't want to say the antithesis of that. I, I very much take the the approach that you need to learn these things. You learn them by doing them, and you're going to make mistakes. You know, having a, a volcano that goes wrong is probably not the end of anybody's world. Right. Um, and you know, again, if you're out cooking and doing a cooking merit badge, and you screw up the potatoes. Eh, probably not going to die. You're about 30 minutes from a target, no matter where you are. You're going to be fine. <laughs> the thing that I've seen as my kids have, have graduated out of high school and left the nest is that if you are not giving your chance, your kids a chance to screw up at younger ages, if you're not giving them a chance to try out independence, do things for themselves, figure out what they're good at, what they're not good at, then you're going to drop them off at college and that's all going to happen off your radar and beyond right. your ability to help. Yeah. The way I look at it is I had the horrible roommate that couldn't do anything right and messed up a lot of stuff. I don't want my kids to be somebody's memory of a horrible roommate. Like, that's <laughs> the way I look at it. <laughs> Future proof the, the world a little bit, you know, at least laundry, at least with cooking, the simple stuff. And uh, on that on that hopeful note for the future of... Not trying to do irreparable damage to our kids. <laughs> we, should, we should probably take it home. 
our first ever mailbox episode is coming up shortly. So if you would like to call in, give us your questions, concerns, what's driving you crazy with your kids at home right now, give us a shout. The deadline number is... 412-684-DADS. That's plus one. 412-684-3237. Operators have been furloughed due to some shady tax shelter operations in Panama, but there is a handy voicemail box sitting there waiting to receive your call. And please remember to subscribe to Dadline no matter where you go to get your particular podcasts. Every time someone subscribes, the women's national team scores another goal. Or we could flip that around, and every time the women's national team scores a goal, we could get a subscriber. There's a lot of scoring. I'm going to make a call. Yeah.